today and you have a child that is sixth grade or under there, welcome to join this crew as they head upstairs and you'll be able to claim them, I guess we could say, after the service is finished this morning. Just beyond the just beyond the exit on this east side on the second level. That's where our kids' crew room is. You'll find them after church this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we dig in today. We're going to finish Hebrews 11. We're going to start in verse 8, so you can just tell with a quick glance. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, but uh, we're, we're going to make our way through it with a, a great word. I think that God wants to speak to us today. As we've been studying, particularly in Hebrews chapter 11, we've seen that this chapter is dealing with faith and how we are to live by faith. And as a matter of fact, if you glance at this chapter, notice the number of times that you see this phrase, by faith, those two words strung together in Hebrews 11, by faith. And if you are one who takes notes and underlines things in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline the number of times in Hebrews 11 that you see those words together, by faith. Because the goal of Hebrews 11 is to help us understand how we are to live by faith, and the way that it does that is by showing us examples of others and the faith that, that they lived by. So by faith, these men and women lived in such a way, and we are to learn from that example so that, in turn, we, by faith, may live according to all that God has for us, even as Doug just prayed about a moment ago, and we become a living example for others. In the same way that these are an example for us, we can become a living witness, as it were, a testimony for others by faith. Hebrews 11 points us to that. It's been called, Hebrews 11 has been called the hall of fame of faith because of the, the roll call essentially here of all of these men and women, particularly in the Old Testament, who walked by faith, who lived by faith and did all of these things that the Lord had called them to. You know, the, the football playoffs are on this weekend, NFL playoffs. There were a couple of games yesterday, a couple of games today. Uh, I know that we have a few Packers fans, a few Cowboys fans today, and, and so your teams get to, uh, to go at each other. I, I know even there's some Chiefs fans and, and, and even a Steeler fan are here uh, or two here this morning, and, and so a matchup that's happening. And you know, uh, football has its, its hall of fame. A lot of our professional sports do. They have a hall of fame. And so if you have a great career, if you accomplish a lot of different milestones and you lead your team, then you've got a good shot someday at getting into the hall of fame. And particularly in the NFL, that's when you don that, that gold-colored jacket and and they, they present you with that bronze bust that, that is going to be immortalized in the Hall of Fame, so to speak. And in many ways, we could think of this chapter in Hebrews as the Hall of Fame of faith. This is not everyone, certainly, who would belong in the Hall of Faith. And in fact, the truth is, it really is just scratching the surface. But nonetheless, some very good examples given to us so that we might live and walk by Faith. And so let's, let's dig in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. And we have essentially five different points that we're going to see this morning of how we can live by faith. And so the first one is this. By faith, we believe in what we cannot see. We believe in what we cannot see. Now, Hebrews 11.1 1 even defines faith along such terms, right? If you remember back a few weeks ago when we were in when we were in this same chapter in verse 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things 
not seen. The essence of faith itself is that faith is not just grounded in the empirical. Faith goes beyond. Faith is not simply just rooted in what we see and what we experience, but it transcends that. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't empirical evidence, that there isn't valid experience that supports and undergirds our faith, but faith is altogether something even more, something even greater than, as it were, the things that we can see. And so we, we believe in what we cannot see, that writers of the New Testament also write it this way simply, right? And we, we're familiar with the phrase that we, we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, we don't just simply trust what we see, what we know, what we've experienced, but we are trusting in, believing in things greater than us, right? By faith, we believe in what we cannot see. Let's start reading in verse 8 and, and see an example here of this in the life of Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's an important part of Abraham's life story. That when God first spoke to Abraham, when God first called Abraham, that God called him to go to Canaan, and God told him that this would be a land that he would possess. But Abraham had never been there. Abraham couldn't see these things with his natural eyes, yet he obeyed God by going to the place that God had called him to, even though, as it says, he didn't know where he was going. Have you ever gotten in the car to go someplace and you didn't know where you were going? Now, there, there, there's two sides to this, right? There's, there's maybe the adventurous side that says, we're going we're gonna to go. We're just going to get on the road and we're just going to take off and just see where we go, right? I've, I've known a few people that have, uh, that have gone on little trips like that, people that like to ride their motorcycles or something, right? And they say, we're just going to take off. There's no plan. We're just going to get on the road and go. And wherever we want to go, that's where we go. And that's kind of fun and adventurous. But the reality is, for many of us, it's, it works itself out more like, I know where I'm supposed to be going, but I have no idea actually how to get there, right? And, and so you get in the car. And we become really dependent upon GPS. And so you, you listen to your GPS device, but has your GPS device ever led you astray? Has it ever told you to turn where there was no street? Or, or you, it, it tells you how to go someplace, maybe even it tells you how to go someplace that you know, but it gives you these weird directions and you think that's not how you, you know, that's not at all how, how you get there. We become dependent upon directions and that sort of thing. We want to know where we're going, particularly me. I'm the kind of person that, like, I, I, I want to... And those of you that know me well know that this is just my personality, right? I want to look at all the possible routes, and I want to determine, you know, which is the fastest, not just based on, not just based on, on the shortest distance, but which roads are going to get us there the fastest, which way has the least amount of traffic, right? Like, I'm, I'm planning. I'm always, like, trying to be two steps ahead. How are we going to—it's my type A on, on overdrive, right, when, when it comes to planning the route for how we're going to get there. And yet, when it comes to our lives, the, the truth of the matter is we are called— to step out on faith, believing God for things that we cannot see. And I've described it this way to you before, that it's, it's like driving at night, right? When you drive at night, you can't see everything that's around you. You see what the headlights show you. And when you go that far, then you see enough 
to go a little bit further and, 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 and so on, right? You, you can only see what is illuminated in the headlights before you. And the truth is, following God, living by faith, is a lot like that. Because God is going to give us enough to see and know so that we can take those steps in obedience. But we won't see everything. We can't know the end from the beginning necessarily, at least not in the fine detail of things. And God calls us to walk by faith in things that we cannot see. And that's exactly what Abraham did here. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Here's the point. Abraham and Sarah believed God for things that seemed impossible, things that they had not seen no one had seen someone in their 90s conceive and give birth to a child, right? It, it even describes Abraham here as good as dead, which just is simply that he was advanced in age beyond his child-rearing years, right? And yet God did the, the inconceivable. God did the, the seemingly impossible because Abraham and, and Sarah obeyed, because they stepped out by faith. Now, if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah... This, this should be comforting to us because although they end up here in the hall of fame of faith, right? When you, when you understand the story of Abraham and Sarah, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just winning the whole time, right? There were a lot of hiccups along the way, like the two different times that Abram tried to pass Sarah off as his sister rather than his wife because he, he thought that, that who, the, in the different story, the two different characters would essentially were going to kill him and take his wife. I mean, there, there were a lot of hiccups along the way in the story of Abraham. It wasn't just trust God by faith and never look back. And yet, in spite of the ups and downs, in spite of his tendency to take two steps forward and one step back, here he is listed as this example of faith for us. You know, the, the, the key in all of this, the key word, I think, as it were, is the word obeyed. Abraham obeyed. He, he did what the Lord had called him to do. And that's the key to walking by faith and not by sight. That's the key to believing in things that we cannot see is obedience. Because in order for us to obey, we must trust God. Now, I suppose that if I were to pull the, the, everyone in the room, you, could, you would say to me, right, of course I trust God. Of course I do. I, I trust Him. But if we were to be really honest, and, and if we were to take a hard look at what trust really looks like, then I also think that every one of us would have to admit, okay, I struggle with trusting God. Even someone of great faith, a champion of faith like Abraham, struggled with trusting God. Why? Because faith requires belief in things that we cannot see. And that's difficult for us. So by faith, 
we believe in what we cannot see. Secondly, in the passage, we see this. By faith, we understand that this world is not our home. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. These all died in faith. There's your word of encouragement, right? They died, every one of them. But it gets better, right? The next phrase, not having received the things promised. Okay, there it is. They believed, they trusted, they obeyed, and they didn't get what was promised. But when we understand what's being said there, it doesn't mean that God wasn't faithful to the promise that he had made. In fact, he was, both in Abraham's lifetime and in a way far more profound, well beyond Abraham's lifetime. God was faithful to what he promised. The point of what this is saying is that the promise of God was so big, the promise of God was so beyond what Abraham had the ability to see that when he took steps of faith and obedience. Not only did God bless him in his lifetime, not only did he experience the blessing, the provision of God, but it, it, it mushroomed, it bloomed beyond what Abraham could have ever possibly imagined to this point that you and I are here today in this place speaking about this man Abraham who's a, 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 an example of faith to us. Do you think that it was in any way conceivable to Abraham that Oklahoma maybe even existed, much less that we would be here today talking about him and his example. See, he believed and he obeyed, but it was far beyond what God wanted to do. The example of how God wanted to use Abraham went impossibly beyond what Abraham was able to, to conceive in his mind. And in that sense, he never fully saw the realization of the promise that God had made in his life. And yet, God was, we could say, abundantly faithful to all that he had promised Abraham. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And there it is. We understand that this world is not our home. We are strangers. We are exiles. In other words, our, our truest citizenship is not of this world. Our truest home is not found in this world, but is in the place that is to come, in the, in the home that we are to inherit when we step out of this perishable body, 1 Corinthians 15 calls it, into the imperishable. When we step out of this finite, temporary reality into an infinite, eternal reality, we understand that this world is not our home. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. In other words, people who, who live this way, people who speak this way, people whose lives are truly marked by this, this strangeness that it describes. They're strangers and exiles. People who truly are not comfortable, not at home, not at place in this world, it says. Make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. In other words... We recognize that this world is not our home, and so we don't live as though this world is our home. We don't live as, this, as though this is the end for us, as though whatever we do in this lifetime, this is it. This is what matters more than anything. Get all you can, can all you get, do the best you can to, 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 to get everything out of this life. We live for something that's greater than this life because we understand that this is not our home. This is not 
the place that God has prepared for us for all eternity to come. Nonetheless, this is where we are now. This is where we are in this moment, in this time. But we understand that we are, we, we are strangers. We are exiles. This world is not our home. It goes on to say in verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. He tells us now that all of this metaphor of Abraham leaving his land and in search of the land that God had promised, he's really talking about something bigger than just where Abraham lived, bigger than Abraham's address or his zip code, right? He's talking about something far more eternal, far more consequential. They desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. In Revelation, when you read in, in, in the final chapters of the book of Revelation, and it begins to unfold heaven, it, it describes heaven as the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. It is a city. Heaven is a city. And it begins to give the dimensions of this new Jerusalem, this new city, which will come down from the place where it exists now with God, that God will bring it down. He will usher it in to existence here with us on a new earth of his creation in that moment. So he's speaking of something far bigger than just the, the earthly city that Abraham went out in search of. He's speaking of a reality that Abraham chose to live for things that are bigger than this world, bigger than this moment, bigger than this lifetime, believing in God that there was something better prepared for him. On Friday, I did a, a service for a member of our church who had passed. Bill Wilder passed away this past week, and we were, we were doing the, it was a, a rather small service, and we're standing around uh, at the graveside, and, and it was cold, and it was a little bit rainy, as you can imagine. But as we're standing there, we were talking about the place that was prepared for Bill because of his faith in the Lord. Bill was a, a, a paint contractor, and so his, by trade, he, was, he, he prepared places for people. That's what he did. He, he got a room ready. He got a house ready. He, he painted, the, you know, that was his job. And we were talking about the fact that to, oh, to have seen the expression on his face when, when he stepped out of this world and he stepped into the place that God had prepared for him. God, the master craftsman, as it were, the master contractor who had prepared a place for him. And essentially what this is telling us is that Abraham lived by faith, believing God, that God had prepared for him a homeland that was not of this world, that when God called him to go on this journey and to go to the land that he had promised him ultimately, Abraham would not find that promised land this side of heaven. That doesn't mean that he didn't find the home that he was seeking. You understand? Because in that moment, when he met his Savior face to face, Abraham experienced the fullness of God's promise, just as you and I will someday if, by faith, we believe and trust in Jesus. And that's the point. We understand that this world is not our home. Third, we see in this passage this, by faith we trust God with our future. We trust God with our future, with our tomorrow, as it were, with our plans, 
with the things that we hope for, the things that we desire, the things that we are working for, the things that we strive toward. We trust God with that. Let's keep reading in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise The promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Though Isaac shall, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of the sons, the end of his life, excuse me, each of his sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of the staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, here's the point in stringing together these examples. The writer of Hebrews is showing us, here were people that trusted God with their future. How do we know that? Because in each of these examples, they're talking about their children, their future generation. There is no more real, no more tangible way that we can trust God with the future than trusting Him with our children, trusting Him with our legacy, if you think of it that way, trusting Him with the ones that God has entrusted to us, you know? I'm not just talking about Whitney Houston's song about the children of the future, right? They are. They are our future. But in a very real sense, they represent what's to come for us our children are our future. They are they're our legacy. They, it, we live through them, our personality, our habits, our things, right? How many times have you ever done something and you thought, oh, great, I've become my parents, right? They live on in you, in, in, in the, the things that you do. We trust God with our future. He's not just talking about our children, of course, but what a, what a, what a great practical application of how we do that. We trust God with the future. When we say even something like our children, God, I'm placing them in your hand. They're yours. They're not mine. God, all that, all that I want for them, I trust to you. Now, let's be real. That's hard to do. That sounds nice and good, and it'll preach well, but the truth of the matter is, when your child comes to you, and it's mom or dad, I'm going to do this because, you know, the Lord's called us to the far ends of the earth. Hold on, right? That's, hold on a second, God. That's not what I meant when I said they were yours, right? I meant down the street, you know, they could, they could buy that other house and they'd be close. And The truth of the matter is, when we trust God with our future, we release it to him. Lord, it's yours. Our children but not just our children. Lord, my future plans, what I desire to become, what I hope to do, the legacy that I hope to leave in this life, God, it's yours. And I'm trusting you with my future. Abraham's faith was such that he believed, even as he was prepared to offer Isaac, he believed that if the Lord had called him to take Isaac's life, then God would raise Isaac from the dead. He believed God and he trusted him with his future. And of course, we know the story that God provided a sacrifice. God provided a way. When we trust God with our future, he will provide a way. He will provide a way. We may not always see it when he calls us, frankly. We may not see it even as we're walking with him by faith. But 
God will provide a way if we will trust him with our future. Fourth, we see this, by faith, we live for tomorrow today. We aren't just living for here and now in this moment. We're not just living for the things that we see and, and just, just living life to the fullest in this moment, but we are, we are investing, if you will, for the future. We are planting seeds with the way that we live our lives that we expect will one day produce a great return that will yield a great crop someday. Again, by faith, we are living for tomorrow, today. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Rather than just living the good life, Moses chose to obey. He believed in what he could not see. He understood that this world was not his home. He trusted God with his future. He was living for tomorrow in the present tense. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the return. Now, here's what's significant about that verse. This verse makes a direct connection between Moses and the hundreds of years that passed before the time of Christ. And it's telling us that Moses, by faith, was believing in the future promise of God, a chosen one, the Christ, the anointed one of God. And so he chose, he chose to consider, it said, the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Even in the Old Testament, these characters, these figures, there was, a, there was a, a forward sense of their faith. Have you ever asked the question, how was someone saved in the Old Testament time? How was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, uh, Moses, David, Solomon, how were these Old Testament figures saved? Well, the truth is they were saved by faith in Jesus Christ the same way that you and I were. Now, it looked different. To be fair, it looked different because Jesus had not come in human flesh yet, and they weren't trusting in the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. They were believing in the promise of God that God would, would fulfill his promise and that he would do it through his chosen one and that God would save his people through the Christ, through the Messiah. This passage even tells us, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. He was believing. And, and you know, Moses was the one that, that experienced the Passover. And he was believing in the true Passover lamb that was to come. Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. By faith, these people trusted in God and they lived for tomorrow today. They believed God enough to entrust him with their future. They believed God enough that they were willing to live in obedience. They believed 
God to the point that it affected how they lived today. So their actions, their thoughts, the things that they did here and now today were, were lived in light of God's promise for tomorrow. And by faith, that's exactly how he's called each one of us to live as well. Listen, the Lord may have called you to some things. He may have put a, a vision in your heart, a, a dream even, that, is, that, that just, just seems bigger than what you could possibly do. And the tendency would be to say, oh, Lord, that's, that's never going to happen. By faith, would you be willing to believe him for things that you cannot see? Would you be willing, by faith, to, to step out, understanding that this is not your home? This is, don't get comfortable where you are now. This is not what God has called you to. He's called you to something bigger, something beyond this. Would you trust him with your future would you, would you do it so much that you would live for tomorrow today? By faith, we live for him. And then finally, we see this. By faith, we sacrifice temporary pleasures for an eternal reward. Let's keep reading and see these examples. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Now, that doesn't sound like what any of us would sign up for, right? Beaten, tortured, destitute, homeless. What does it say? This, this phrase in verse 30, 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Their faith was so great. Their faith was so strong that this world was not worthy of the way that they lived. They willingly chose, these men and women of faith, willingly chose to sacrifice temporary pleasures for an eternal reward. And can I tell you, what our world needs today are men and women of God who would be willing to sacrifice temporary pleasures for an eternal reward. Frankly speaking, what your neighbors need, what your family needs, what your coworkers need, what what the city of Chickasha needs, what Oklahoma needs, what our nation needs and our world needs are men and women of Christ who would be willing to sacrifice temporary pleasures for an eternal reward. Jim Elliott, this past week or so, was the anniversary of the slaying of Jim Elliott and his friends on the beach in the, in the, the jungle of Ecuador, the place where those men gave their life to reach an unreached people with the gospel. That place where those men were killed. If you don't know the story, I would encourage you to look it up. Jim Elliott. 
Jim Elliott famously said this quote, and I love it. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Church, we are called to sacrifice temporary pleasures, to get uncomfortable here and now in this life for an eternal reward. You know what? You know what Jesus says the reward is? You. Next week we'll see that in Hebrews chapter 12. For the, for the reward that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that reward? It was you. What is the reward that he's seeking? What is the reward that he's called us to? It is people. It is the lost, the hurting, the hopeless, the helpless. Those who are, who are condemned by their sin. Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected, conquering sin and death, that he might receive the prize. And what was that prize? It was you, it was me. It was all those who by faith trust in him. And when he calls us to live for an eternal reward, I don't, I don't just mean that heaven someday, you give up, uh, you sacrifice a few little things here and now so that someday, you know, your place in heaven might be great. I'm talking, friends, about the real reward, which is people. God has called us to live our lives in light of people, in light of the lost, that we would, that we would go out in this world, that we wouldn't care what people think about us, that we wouldn't be concerned about our reputation, our namesake, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't be concerned about, uh, oh, it's going to make the, the relationship awkward and that sort of thing, but that we would live in light of an eternal reward. You would sacrifice temporary pleasures. Who cares what they think of you? So what if they think you're weird? You should be. It's what the passage tells us. We should be a little strange. We should live a little differently. We should be a little uncomfortable in this world because we're called to live for something far greater. Verse 39, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Listen to this. Since God had provided something better for us. He's talking about the gospel again. All of these people believed in the Christ. They believed in the promise of God for the future, and they never saw it with their own eyes, but they believed it, and you can tell by the way that they lived. God had something better planned, and you and I, we live in light of that something better, and that something better, of course, is Jesus. He's greater than anything else in this world. And by faith, when we trust in him, then the power of God rescues us from our sin, saves us from our past, and gives us a new future. And not only that, but by faith, we are given the mission of God, which is to reach people with the good news, with the gospel, that they would be saved, that they would be rescued before it's too late. God had provided something better for us. Praise God that he did. Praise God that we get to live in it, that we see it, that we walk and talk and breathe in the freedom of what it is that Jesus did for us on the cross. It's something far greater than what Abraham ever knew. Did you realize that? You and I, what we consider to be trivial and commonplace, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, others longed for 
and yet we treat it as if it's nothing altogether. The point is that we have been called to live for something greater than this world. Don't become so comfortable in your current reality that you aren't willing to give it up to pursue God's dream for you, his future. By faith, we believe in what we cannot see. By faith, we understand that this world is not our home. By faith, by faith, we are called of God to trust him with our future. By faith, we live for tomorrow, today. By faith, we sacrifice temporary pleasures for an eternal reward. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. In that moment of response, our altar's going to be open. Staff will be here at the front ready to receive you. Here's what I'm hoping for. Here's what I've been praying for all week, for this moment, for this, for this time, is that God would stir your heartstrings. And then if there's anything in your life that you've become just comfortable to, anything that you've become unwilling to sacrifice or give up, that he would so weigh upon you with the weight of his conviction now that you would be ready to, to surrender it to him, to bring it, and even maybe physically leave it on the altar this morning before him. God, it's yours. By faith, I want to follow you. My children, my home, my name, my reputation, my business, my future, my 401k, God, all that I have, everything I could hope for and dream for in this life is yours. I sacrifice temporary, fleeting pleasures for something that is far greater. By faith, today, would you be willing to exchange that which you cannot keep for something that you cannot lose? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for what you've done for us. God, we thank you that you have allowed us to live in this moment, in this reality, on this side of the cross. Lord, we don't just hope and trust in something that may happen someday. Lord, we, we anchor our lives to something that happened. When you stepped out of heaven and you stepped in this earth, you died on the cross for us, and you were resurrected, conquering sin and death. God, we believe you. We believe by faith that what you offer, Lord, that what you call us to, that the eternal reward that we seek is greater than anything in this world. Help us now, Lord, to live for that. May we be willing to sacrifice, to, to, to entrust to you the things of this world, anything in this present moment, so that we might live in, in, in light of something far greater, far more valuable, Lord. Lord, we recognize that people are your prize. We are your prize. Others who have yet to believe are your prize. By faith today, God, we want to live for that prize. That is the reward we seek. That is the goal. That is our aim, Lord. It's you. It's faith in you trusting in you and leading others to do the same, Lord. We confess as an act of worship and surrender before you today. Jesus, you are our prize. Lead us now. By faith, we pray. Amen. As we stand to sing this song of surrender together this morning, I invite you, if God is speaking, that you would come.
If he's stirring your heart that you need to surrender your life to him, friend, walk the aisle. Come forward. Let us pray a prayer with faith by you. Surrender your life to him today. If he's calling you to sacrifice something, to give up something temporary in light of what's eternal, then would you be willing today? Come. You can kneel here and prayer at the altar. You can take our staff by the hand. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you. However God is leading you today, respond by faith in him. Let's live together in search of the prize, the eternal reward. Amen? Let's sing together.